We should be very careful about artificial intelligence. We are summoning the demon. Hey, welcome back to the Babylon Singularity Podcast. I am your host, Peter Herter. And today we're going to pick up where we left off. Paul's second letter to the Thessalonians, chapter 2. It is massively important to understand what is going on in that chapter, especially when it comes to understanding what is going to be happening in the days ahead. God has given us Bible prophecy to give us a map of where we are, where we're going, what to expect so that we can live in clarity, we can live with boldness and confidence in His sovereign reign, His wisdom, His plan, and His heart behind it all. Eschatology isn't um, meant to be uh, like a trivia game where we get to argue over different points and different perspectives and at the end of the day, uh, fold up the board game and put it back in the box and throw it back in the toy box uh, for the next round, whenever that happens. Um, Eschatology is not a game. It was very important to Paul. It's very important to Jesus. Therefore, it needs to be very important to us. If we play games with eschatology, we will be sure to miss what God has for us. We can't leave it at the game level. It has serious implications for us to understand what is happening in our world to understand what God's purpose is and his plan and what he will bring to pass by the power of his might. That's not something you're going to want to leave to the experts. That's something you're going to want to own for yourself. You're going to want to understand it. You're going to want to be able to open the Bible and go, ah, that is God's plan so that you can own it so that it can strengthen you and anchor you more deeply in Christ, so that when these things begin to come to pass, you're not confused, you're not scared, you're not panicking like lots of other people will be doing. Instead, you're going to be standing unshakable, unmovable, confident in your Savior who is leading you, grounded in His Word, aligned with him in his purpose by his spirit. That's where we need to be in the days. That's where we need to be right now. And that's where we're going to need to be in the days ahead. So we're going to jump back into Paul's second letter to the Thessalonians, where he circles the wagons and wants to make sure that the Thessalonian church is very clear about a couple of things. He begins the chapter by saying, now concerning our gathering together to Jesus at his return. He makes it very clear what he's speaking about. He, he wants to address a specific issue 
with the Thessalonians. They had somehow misconstrued what Paul was saying to them. It's clear that Paul spent some time very early on when he was establishing that church, when the Thessalonian believers were coming to faith in Jesus, when they were first believing, Paul sat down with them and said, hey, I want you guys to understand some things that Jesus taught about the end of the age. He sat down, he, he, he taught them about Jesus's promise to return, and he also taught them about the events that would surround Jesus's promise to return. So the Thessalonians took that teaching and they ran with it, you know, probably the best they could, but very quickly got off course on some of these teachings. And Paul is coming back to them and saying, no, 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 you guys are missing me on a couple of things here. Number one, you need to understand that Jesus's return isn't going to happen until a couple of things happen first. And that was number one. The great apostasy, which is the falling away. And secondly, the abomination of desolation, which is the man of lawlessness taking his seat in the temple of God. Those two things will have to happen before we are gathered together at Jesus' return. There is no way around it. Paul has not, did not leave an alternative to that statement right there. There's no way around it. There's no way under it. We must come to terms with what Paul is plainly saying. If we do not, we are imperiling ourselves. We are putting ourselves at peril. If we willfully disregard what Paul is plainly saying, plainly saying that Jesus will return. We will be gathered together at his return, but that event will not happen until the great apostasy and the abomination of desolation in the end times occurs first. So when Paul makes those two two points, there is a connection, and that is the thing that has been captivating my attention this week, is what is the connection between the great apostasy and the abomination of desolation? Paul puts those two things together in one sentence, and he ties it together with other ideas that come forth later in in the chapter. And that's the thread that I want to pull today, because I believe if we come to some clarity about what connects the abomination of desolation to the great apostasy, we're going to have a much better picture of what to expect in the days ahead and actually what we can actually begin to see in the days that we're living now. So today's episode is about the connection, the great apostasy, and the abomination of desolation. So Father, we're asking you to open your word to us, that you would speak to us by your spirit, that you would lead us in your truth, that we would grow closer to Jesus 
that we would become more like him in every way, God, that you would supply our faith, that we would grow up in the faith of the apostles. Deepen us in your word, O God. Deepen us in your love. Align us with your truth. Reveal to us these things that Paul was teaching to the Thessalonian church and help us put down baggage that would obscure our view of the plain teaching of Scripture. Let your word wash over us, purify us, cleanse us, set us apart for your will, for your purpose. In the name of Jesus. So go ahead and, and open up to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I'll go ahead and just read through this chapter again, just so we are clear on the content that we're going to be going through today. It begins in verse 1 and runs through verse 12. I think it's always worth just reading the entire passage so you get the uh, bigger picture of, of what we're talking about here. Verse 1, now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way. That day will not come unless the apostasy comes first, the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was with you, I told you these things? And you know what is restraining him now, so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders, with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false, in order that they may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So Paul's addressing a couple of things here. And these are the ones that I want to dig into in a deeper way. Number one, the great apostasy. Paul says that before Jesus returns, there will be an event whereby a falling away will occur. So the question is, is, what is Paul talking about here? Is there other places in Scripture that we can look to and go, okay, we're, you know, what does Paul have in mind? Is, this, is it uh, spoken of in other places in Scripture? So we can have a larger idea of what we might expect in the end times, in regards to a falling away. Of course, in the Olivet Discourse, Jesus prophesied 
that many would fall away, that many would hate each other. And so we know that Paul is building on this prophecy. He's not necessarily, it seems, limited to what Jesus is saying on the Olivet Discourse. It seems like he's building upon it. He's the the apostle, and he's building on a foundation, and he's going beyond it by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, by the sovereignty of God, and through prophetic experiences that Paul is having. Paul himself saying, hey, I've, I've, I've been brought up to heaven. I've had heavenly experiences. God has shown me things. And it's pretty staggering, when, and Paul's very humble about his experiences. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't really get into the, 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 the nuts and bolts of those experiences, but he says, I've had them, and they're real. And, and so we can know that Paul is having prophetic experiences, and so he's drawing on the foundational prophecies of Jesus. He's, he's building upon the prophecies of Daniel, He's, he's building upon the prophecies of scripture, but then he's also adding his own prophetic experiences that he's having and building a much bigger picture of what to expect in the end times. So it's not that he's simply and solely um, restrained or confined by what uh, the, the teachings of scripture that he understood from Jesus or Daniel, but he is actually adding to the, the prophecies, building a fuller picture because he is having spiritual experiences, prophetic experiences where he's being drawn up and God is showing him specifically about things that would come to pass that he may not actually be getting from the teachings of Daniel specifically, or the, the prophecies of Daniel, or, or even the teachings of, of Jesus on the Olivet Discourse, uh, the Mount of Olives, I should say. But he is adding to the bigger picture through his own prophetic experiences that God is showing him. And it is scripture, so we can be fully confident that what Paul is speaking about the end times is God's word. Paul didn't miss anything. Paul didn't, you know, uh, make something up that wasn't scriptural. He's speaking scripture. He's thinking scripture. God is moving him by his spirit, and it's all scripture is breathed by God. So we can know that what Paul is adding is breathed by God. And we can be fully confident that what he is saying here will come to pass every little detail of what Paul is saying here will come to pass. It's the word of God. So Paul says we should expect a falling away. Well, what is this falling away? What, what is, who is falling away? What are they falling away from? What are they falling into? Those are the, those are the three kind of questions about the falling away, this apostasy. Paul uses the word apostasy. Well, what's in view in Paul's letter is 
humanity, a great movement where people fall away. What are they falling away from? Falling away from God. Falling away from his truth. Falling away from the faith. Falling away from the creator. So there will be a final event whereby humanity will have this um, a, a scenario that will play out in the end times where humanity will fall away from the creator and they will fall into the hands of the devil. That's about as clear as I can make it. And it sounds crazy and it sounds like, you know, uh, some fanatical fundamental, you know, idea of some like whatever, but that is the plain teaching of truth uh, of scripture. And I'm going to, I'm going to show you that here. If you open up to Revelation chapter 13, John has a vision Uh, chapter 13, of the dragon coming to the earth and giving its authority and power to the beast. It says in verse 4, they worshiped the dragon for he had given his authority to the beast. John has a vision. He sees the dragon in heaven trying to make war against Michael and the angels. The dragon is driven, expelled from heaven, comes to earth, gives its authority to the beast. And it says, they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. So the picture here in Revelation 13, verse 4, is very clear. They, who's they? It's the fallen world. It's global. Humanity. Worshipping the dragon. Fallen humanity. Not worshipping its creator, Worshipping the deceiver. Worshipping the dragon. That, in essence, is the falling away. Humanity. Who's, who's falling away? Humanity. What is humanity falling away from? They're falling away from God. What is fallen humanity falling into? They're they're falling into the worship of the dragon, the deceiver, Satan. So that is the great apostasy. If you just want to sum it up, it's when humanity at the end of the age falls away from God and falls into the worship of the dragon. That is the great apostasy. 
how do we get there? How do we get there from here? Are we already doing it? Did we already uh, accidentally, unintentionally fall away from God? And are we already worshiping the dragon and we didn't even know it? No. Nope. That's, it's, that's, (laughs) I know it would be like really, you know, make a really cool video if you could like somehow convince people that, you know, this whole thing has already happened and we're already worshiping the dragon somehow. And I I know you could get a lot of uh, views on YouTube, but this event is yet to come. So we have not experienced the great apostasy, the falling away from the creator into the hands of Satan yet. It has not happened yet. But there are, there's evidence of where this will arise, how it will come to pass, and we can watch and pray and understand and see it coming as that day approaches. So Paul gives this uh, so, so Paul points to two events. That the first event is the great apostasy, the falling away of the create the creator, fallen humanity falling away from the creator into the hands of the deceiver. That's event number one, the great falling away. But that's not the only event that Paul has in mind. He also says, also before Jesus returns and we're gathered together with him. Expect to see the abomination of desolation. Now, what is the abomination? Well, I've already, I've already uh, given definition to the great apostasy. Now, the question is, what is the abomination of desolation? We tackled that last week where I spent some time explaining why we shouldn't be looking for the Jewish nation to create another temple. The temple in Jerusalem was already left empty and desolate when Jesus said it was empty and desolate. When Jesus said, I leave to you your house, it's desolate, it's empty, it's over. Jesus canceled the temple by himself. It took some years for the Romans to get around to raising it to the ground. In fact, it was within the generation of Jesus that the Romans besieged the temple and destroyed it. Jesus said, when you will see this city sieged by an enemy nation, then know that its desolation has come. Well, in 70 AD, if you were watching in Jerusalem... The city walls were besieged by an enemy nation. You could, could have seen it. Titus, General Titus, had come to Jerusalem to subdue it. And they laid siege to it. And the wrath that came upon Jerusalem in those days will never be outdone. The wrath of those days will never be equaled. The wrath that came upon those people in those time, in that time, was the greatest tribulation of any people ever. That is what Jesus prophesied. 
that was the end of the temple in Jerusalem. So should we expect the Jewish uh, nation to, um, you know, somehow decide like, hey, we found the Ark of the Covenant. We're ready to rebuild this temple. We got the, we got the priesthood going again and just, and, and, and also, you know, honestly not even have the Ark of the Covenant, not even really have a priesthood that would qualify, really not have any, just have some like, you know, basically bastardized version of the temple that really wouldn't meet any of the requirements of the temple. And then, um, and then the, the, the Antichrist comes in there and goes, yeah, yeah, this place is mine and I'm God. And that's the abomination of desolation. Is that what we should be looking for in the last episode? My answer was an emphatic no. We should not be looking for a bastardized temple to arise in Jerusalem. They've already got a uh, desecrated temple there. I think you could call that the Dome of the Rock. I don't think if the Jewish nation actually bulldozed the Dome of the Rock and built a temple that that the, that temple would be any more holy than the Dome of the Rock. Let me just say it. Let me just put it that way. Because without a Messiah, without coming to terms with the Lord their God, they can't build a temple that would be holy. It's impossible. It's impossible. In that scenario, the, the, the Antichrist might as well just walk into the Dome of the Rock and call it good, right? Because the Dome of the Rock would be just as holy as a temple that the Jewish nation would build. I'm just going to say it because you cannot find a way around Jesus Christ. There is no way to be holy outside of Jesus. So if if the Jewish nation decided to bulldoze the, the, the Dome of the Rock and build their own temple, it would be no better than the Dome of the Rock because they would both be apostate buildings that mean nothing to God. Mean nothing to God. So there's no way to desecrate that temple. There's no way to... That temple itself would already be an abomination, it would be a symbol of the Jewish rejection of the Messiah, a stubborn rejection of the redeeming God who loved them and saving them, who gave his son as the blood of the lamb to make them holy so that he could dwell in them so that they could be the temple of God. So building a building in Jerusalem by, you know, Jewish leaders or whoever, it doesn't matter if they're Orthodox, doesn't matter. I don't care who they are. I'm guessing it's probably not going to be a Messianic congregation that's going to get in there and build a temple to Jesus. You know, that might be the one way that like, oh, you go, okay. Uh, if it was like some sort of like Branson type scenario where you're like, hey, this is kind of cool. This is like a, you know, a uh, museum type thing where we can understand what the temple was, how it worked, how it pointed to Jesus. But we really know that this temple system is, it's over. It's, it's been fulfilled in Jesus. And now Jew and Gentile alike are invited in Jesus through faith to the Jew first and then to the Gentile to become the temple of the living God. God. God doesn't need a house. He doesn't need a house. He's looking to dwell in people. 
So my point is, is no, we shouldn't be looking for the Jewish nation to build a building and for the Antichrist to go into that building and go, okay, now it's unholy because I said I was God inside of it. That's not what we should be looking for. My point is we should be looking for a person who's attempting to hack into the human frame. Because Paul is prophesying about the Antichrist who Jesus will consume at his coming. So, Paul is not talking about AD 70 here. He is not talking about what happened in Jerusalem when Titus besieged the city and raised the temple to the ground. Paul is talking about a different event that happens at, in the end times. How do we know he's talking about an event that happens in the end times? Because the guy he's talking about, the man of lawlessness, will be consumed at the return of Jesus. So when Jesus appears and comes back, he will consume the Antichrist at his coming. Jesus never consumed Titus at his coming. That did not happen. You can pretend it happened, and you can make up stories about how you think it happened, but it did not happen. Paul makes it very clear. The man of lawlessness will be consumed at the return of Jesus. So he firmly anchors this abomination of desolation in the end times. And I believe it's not going to be in a building. I believe what Paul is talking about is where Paul talks about in other places, and Jesus mentions this as well. He says, do you not know that you are the temple of God? The human frame is the temple of God. The human frame is designed by God to be a dwelling place for God. It is the human frame that the Antichrist will infiltrate. It is the human frame that the Antichrist will hack and take his seat by the invitation of the individual into their human frame. It is that abomination that makes desolate that we should be looking for. Not a building in Jerusalem, but a man who's hacking into the human frame so that he can set himself up as God. That was last episode. If you missed it, I invite you to click back, take a listen, let me know what you think. So these two events, what is, what's the, the great apostasy? The great apostasy is when the fallen humanity falls away from the creator into the hands, into worshiping the dragon. What is the abomination of desolation? The abomination of desolation is an event that occurs when the temple of God, an event that occurs within the temple of God that God considers a disqualifying event and renders the temple unfit for anything but the wrath of God. The abomination of desolation. What is it? It's an event that occurs within the temple of God that renders the temple unfit for anything but the wrath of God. It is what seals the fate of the temple. 
The temple in Jerusalem, the fate was already sealed. That was 2,000 years ago. That's not what Paul has in mind here. I believe Paul has in mind a much greater abomination that makes desolate than could, that could, than could ever occur in any building. It's an event that occurs within the human frame that seals the fate of fallen humanity forever. It renders the temple unfit for anything but the wrath of God. So we shouldn't be looking for the Jewish nation to rebuild a building in in Jerusalem and, and call it a temple. We should be looking for a man who's desperately attempting to hack into the human frame with the intention of one day, even though it might not be clear now, it will become clear in the future that what he really wants to do is get inside of you. He wants to build inside of you. He wants to find, hack into your holy of holies, which belongs to God alone. And he wants to find his seat and set up his seat in your temple. And if you allow this man to hack into your human frame, if you invite this man into your holy of holies, and if you agree that this man is your God, then your temple will be made desolate. Unfit for anything except the wrath of God. That's what we should be looking for. Who's, who's trying to do that? Who's trying to build into your mind? Who wants to tap into your frame? Let me give you a hint. It's the guy who wants to drill a hole in your skull. It's that guy. I don't want to drill a hole in your skull. I want you to follow Jesus and love him and and live forever. That's what I want. I want you to do that. I want you to follow Jesus fully, freely, joyfully, forever. That is what I want for you. But there's this other guy out there who wants to drill a hole in your skull. Why does he want to do that? Hmm. I'll let you figure that out. I'll let you figure out why the guy who wants to drill a hole in your skull, wants to subjugate you to super intelligent AI. We need to start thinking about this. We need to start considering these questions. But I digress. What was the initial purpose of this episode? This is where it gets really crazy. What is the connection between the great apostasy when fallen humanity falls away from the creator into the worship of the dragon? What is the connection between the falling away and the abomination of desolation when the human frame will be made desolate by the man of lawlessness setting up his seat inside the human frame? being worshipped as God. These two events 
are fundamentally connected. What is that connection? Checking notes. <laughs> okay. So just, just for, uh, I don't know, I guess transparency and honesty's sake, some of these, some of these thoughts that are occurring to me, some of these ideas, some of these ways that I'm seeing scripture, they are brand new. And a lot of times what I need to do is I just need to get them out in kind of their raw form, and then they will be honed and crafted later. So as I go along, I might, the, the, some of these ideas that I'm, I'm sharing with you in this episode are literally hours old inside of my brain. So it's going to take some time to articulate them and develop them. And so I'm, I'm pulling some bread maybe out of the oven a little prematurely here, so bear with me. We know the human frame is created in the image of God. That's the way God created us. We are bearers of the image of God. Every human being has, is stamped with the image of God. We also know that every human frame is created by God to be a temple for God. That doesn't mean every human being or every human frame will be a temple for God, but it is created to be a temple for God. We are created with the image of God. We are created to be a temple for God. The final abomination of desolation that Paul's talking about, it's not a building in Jerusalem. It's Satan's final strategy to destroy the image of God and reshape fallen humanity into the image of the beast. God, uh, Satan wants to take the image of God and destroy it. He wants to ruin that image forever. He wants to ruin you as the temple of God forever. That is what he explicitly wants to do. Well, if he wants to ruin the image of God in us, what? how does he want to reshape us? He wants to reshape us into his image, the image of the beast. To once and for all ruin any hope for redemption, to desecrate forever the human frame from the purpose of God. How can Satan once and for all destroy the image of God replace it with the image of the beast and desecrate the human frame to ever be a temple of God. He does it through worship. We become like what we worship. 
If we worship Jesus Christ, Paul says, we will be transformed from glory to glory. We will become more like Jesus the more we worship Jesus. And I'm reminded of some psalms or um, psalms or, or prophecies of maybe Isaiah. I'd, I'd have to, it's just occurring to me right now, so I'd have to kind of look it up. But it says that those who worship idols become like the idols they worship. They become deaf and dumb, powerless. We become like what we worship. So how can Satan form his image in a fallen human frame? He replaces the image of God with the image of the beast through worship. As fallen humanity falls away from the creator and into the worship of the dragon, the image of the beast is established. It is the consummation of wickedness, the bringing together, the final combining of fallen humanity, the lawless one, the dragon. It is a satanic strategy to seal the fate of fallen humanity forever ruin any hope of God's redemption. To consummate the relationship between fallen humanity, the lawless one, the Antichrist, and the dragon, or Satan. Bringing them all together binding them together so that the wrath of God can come upon this great final rebellion. How does fallen humanity fall away from the creator to worship the dragon, to deny, reject the image of God, and embrace the image of the beast? How does this take place? How does the man of lawlessness take his seat in the temple of God? and reshape humanity into the image of the beast and forever seal their fate, consummate the relationship. Paul says the unifying theme, the unifying reality that underlies the entire scenario is lawlessness. Jesus said, Lawlessness will be increased. Paul says God's hand restrains lawlessness. He says the mystery of lawlessness is already at work 
But he says the day is coming when God will lift his hand and no longer restrain lawlessness. God will say to fallen humanity, I'm done keeping you away from what you really want. I'm going to give you what you really want. What does fallen humanity really, 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 really want at the end of the day? When you take away all restraint and you give them what they truly desire, they truly desire the man of lawlessness. They truly desire the dragon. When God lifts his restraining hand and says, okay, have what you want, the relationship between fallen humanity and the lawless one will be consummated. They will be brought together as one. The great apostasy is the seduction. It's the love story of the Antichrist and fallen humanity. It's what humanity, fallen humanity really wants when they're left unrestrained. The great apostasy is the love story, the abomination of desolation. is the consummation, the eternal union of the lawless one and lawless humanity. Lawlessness ties the great apostasy with the abomination of desolation. This is the the great reality of fallen humanity. They want lawlessness. They want the dragon. Now, God holds it back because the destroying effect, the destruction that comes from humanity fully pursuing their lawlessness is devastating. We've seen the effects of fallen humanity unrestrained. It was in the days of Noah. Jesus said, as the days of Noah were, so shall the days of the coming of the Son of Man be. He said, just like in the days of Noah, it's going to be when I return. In the days of Noah, they were unrestrained in their evil. And they were embracing wickedness and destruction, destroying lives, destroying each other. And God had one remedy to wash them all away, to wash them all away. So just as in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. As they wholeheartedly embraced their lawlessness, there will be what but one remedy, to wipe them all away, to allow them to have what they really want, to have the lawless one, to have the dragon, to seal their fate. It's the love story, the love story of the lawless one and lawless humanity. That's the great falling away, the seduction away from the creator 
into the hands of the dragon. And the consummation of this relationship consummated in the abomination of desolation. I don't even know where to go from there, so I'm going to leave it there, and we're going to go ahead and just percolate on that. Be praying about some of these realities that, that, I, that you know, the, the Word of God seemed to be clearly stating. There's so much here to be discovered. We just need the Lord's guidance. We need to hear His voice. We need to be led by His Spirit. We need to leave the petty things behind and walk in the fullness of what He has in the days ahead. So, hey, do me a favor. If this podcast is a blessing to you, I'm asking you, tell other people about it. I've got, I've got some fantastic, super, I'm so thankful for s- some of my friends out there who've been supporting me in, um, in, in sharing this podcast with others. Um, so if you're, if you're feeling stirred, like, wow, the Lord's really stirring me up to get closer to Him, I'm not trying to talk you into a doctrine. I'm not trying to talk you into anything but knowing the Word of God for yourself and hearing it from Him and growing in your relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what I'm here to do. And if that's what the Lord is doing, that's been my prayer, that, that the Lord would be doing that in you, and you're really receiving from this podcast, I'm asking you, please, share it. Get the word out. I'm believing the Lord for a, a massive move of His Spirit, that His, his leadership um, for the church is going to be leveling up in ways that we can't even imagine right now. And I think together we need to link arms, link minds, uh, link hearts, and seek Him for all that He has for us in this hour. So, hey, thank you for joining me. Thanks for the support. Thanks for the love that I'm feeling from you guys out there. I really appreciate you. And just God's very best to you as, as we continue to watch, to pray, and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. All right, guys. God bless you. Till next time. That concludes this episode of Babylon Singularity. I want to thank you for tuning in. If you're looking to hear more from me, you can find me on Twitter as well as my website, BabylonSingularity.com. I've also authored a book titled Babylon, available on Amazon. I look forward to hearing any thoughts or feedback, comments that you may have to help me make this show better. I do hope it's a blessing to you, and I hope that you'll tune in next time to Babylon Singularity.